Our scripture texts today are three in number, all from the New Testament. The first from the Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 51 to 62. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for his arrival, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And from 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now it is already is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then these verses from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. By contrast, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. I read a few years ago about some parents who gave their little boy for his birthday one of those inflatable punching bag standing bears, you know, the the one I'm talking about, you know, that's weighted at the bottom so that when you punch it, it just sort of bounces back. You know, you keep punching it, punching it, it keeps bouncing back. And the little boy, you know, got a hold of it. And like little boys, you just kept punching it and punching it and punching it. And it kept bouncing back, bouncing back, bouncing back until finally he got exhausted and he turned to his mother and said, gee, mom, this bear stands up on the inside. This bear stands up on the inside. 
1951, a young man was playing basketball for Manhattan College in New York City, came from a poor family in Portsmouth, Virginia, was the first black athlete to be awarded a scholarship at Manhattan College. He was poor, his family was poor, and while his educational costs were covered by the scholarship, he barely had two nickels after that to rub together. Traveling home was not even a consideration. Then one day, this young man, still a teenager, got approached by a nicely dressed businessman who had a deal for him. He reminded the young player that DePaul University was coming to town to play Manhattan at the Garden and that he would give him $1,000 if he could ensure that Manhattan would lose to DePaul by at least five or six points. $1,000 to a poor young man in the early 1950s, that's a fortune. It's the chance to take care of your family. It's the opportunity to buy some decent clothes. It's the ability to impress your friends. It's the opportunity to buy, to, it's an opportunity to which you could probably not say no. Junius Kellogg, though, said no. He told the man to get out of his room. The next day, he told his coach. The coach sent him to the office of the DA and soon was uncovered the largest betting scandal in a collegiate sports 32 players from seven colleges admitted to taking bribes to fix 86 games in 17 states in the years between 1947 and 1950, all because a young Junius Kellogg, when presented a choice to which many would say he could say no, could not say no, said no. Life is a journey of learning what it means to stand up on the inside. Cal Hitchcock several years ago was a 15-year-old golfer for Douglas High School over on the other side of the state. He and his high school golf team were playing in a tournament to qualify for, them, for themselves in the state championship. Cal had a great round, shot a 75, was a score good enough to qualify him for a medal and more importantly to qualify his team for the state championship. In golf though, your opponent keeps your score for you and at the end of the round, you check to make sure the score is right. You sign it, you hand them the scorecard, all of which Kyle did except not carefully enough so at the end of the tournament, to the adulation of his teammates and coaches and parents, they posted Kyle's score, but the score they posted was a 74. Kyle knew it was wrong. He knew it was a 75, but nobody else knew it was a 75. He asked to see the scorecard, saw his error, didn't have to say a thing. Nobody else would ever have been the wiser for it. But to say it was a 75 would mean the loss of a medal and the loss of his team's chance to play in the state championship, but Kyle turned himself in and all of that work was gone. Life is a journey of what it means to stand up on the inside. A few weeks later, Kyle got a letter from Arnold Palmer, whom he had never met. Palmer wrote, I admire you, young man, for the courage and honesty you showed. You had to make a difficult decision with obviously damaging consequences, yet you made the right choice and you were able to walk away from that event with your held, head held high. A year later, Kyle won the state championship. As for Junius Kellogg, he went on to graduate from Manhattan College, served his country in the U.S. Army, played for the Harlem Globetrotters, and at the peak of his playing career was paralyzed in a car accident. And that's not the end of the story. Junius went on to be the first black coach of a professional wheelchair basketball team and later coached the U.S. Paralympic basketball team to a gold medal in the Tokyo Paralympics in 1964. Life is a journey of learning what it means to stand up on the inside. When I think of people like Junius Kellogg and Kyle Hitchcock, two young men 
teenagers facing into the pressures and temptations to do the wrong thing, money, trophy, notoriety, peer pressure, and then choosing to do the right thing, it makes you wonder, what was the story that led up to those decisions? Because you know there's always a story. There's always an influence, there's always a teacher, there's always a role model, there's always somebody in their past who has guided them along the way. People like that become paragons of virtue, not of their own accord, but because of people they looked up to. Because left to our own devices, Lord knows what choices we might make in our lives. You've no doubt heard the story of the Mississippi Riverboat captain who was approached during the Civil War by a cotton trader who asked him if he would run his cotton up the river. It was illegal to trade cotton between the North and the South during the war, so the riverboat captain refused. The cotton trader said, I'll give you $500, you run this cotton up the river. The captain said, no, I'll give you $1,000. The captain said, no, I'll give you $2,000. The captain said, no, I'll give you $3,000. The captain, and with that, the captain reached for his gun, put the gun in the man's face and said, get off my boat, you're coming too near my price. We all have our price, don't we? And to think you don't have a price means you're probably the most vulnerable when it comes to the pressure of doing the wrong thing. What is it that makes a person stand up on the inside to choose the right thing and not the right wrong thing? I wonder if that isn't one of the questions that lies behind the two stories I read to you from Luke's Gospel. Jesus has earlier decided to turn his face toward Jerusalem and to make his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He's one of hundreds of rabbis who will choose to do this. But Jesus brings with him this fairly radical interpretation of the law and the prophets that has less to do with ceremonial and ritual purity and more to do with loving the impure and loving the outcast. Jesus is willing to break the rules in order to follow the most important rules of loving God and loving neighbor. So Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem where he will be, where his teaching will be challenged and not just challenged but ridiculed and not just ridiculed but opposed and not just opposed but Jesus will be arrested, tried, convicted, crucified for heresy and sedition. This is what love does. This is the consequence of love. Jesus is now on his way. He's made his choice. He's facing the music. He's marching to Zion. This is his way. This is his truth. This is his life. This is his standing up on the inside. And he's happy to take with him all those who wish to join him in this mission of love. And then comes these two stories. And the first story is a story, shall we call, of distraction. Jesus is passing through Samaria, and Samaritans have issues with Jews. And so when Jesus sends the disciples ahead to go see if they can stay in one of these Samaritan villages, they turn them away because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and Samaritans have issues with Jerusalem. So John and James, in what might be described as a little bit of an overreaction, say to Jesus, let's Die on this hill, Jesus. How about we call down fire from heaven? How about we give them a piece of our mind? How about we show them who's right? Let's, let's forget about this trip of love, Jesus. Let's nuke them back to the Stone Age. Let's allow ourselves to be diverted off course 
Let's get mired in revenge. Let's allow ourselves to be diverted. Let's allow ourselves to, to exit the highway. Let's allow ourselves to be distracted from the destination. That's story number one. Story number two happens when Jesus invariably meets up with a host of people who love the idea of this mission. They are intrigued by the rabbi. They agree in principle with the notion of love. They are in agreement with the destination, but they're not quite really ready to go. They have uh, responsibilities. They've got, uh, they've got a list of reasons. They have you know, some things they gotta tie up. They got a, you know, affairs to get in order. They have an important meeting at work. They have people to say goodbye to. But Jesus has heard this story over and over and over and over again. It's the not yet syndrome. It's the someday but not yet syndrome. It's the I hope to get around it someday syndrome. I, it's I can't wait until I retire syndrome. They've allowed for themselves, in the words of Carol Shields, the, quote, comforts of postponement. Like the prayer of St. Augustine when he was young, Lord, make me pure, but not just yet. This is the story of delay. They have found excuses for their delay. John and James get distracted, want to exit off the highway. A host of others get delayed, hesitate to get on the highway, distracted, delayed. But Jesus pushes ahead. Which I suppose are the two great challenges to this journey of standing up on the inside, right? Because every good choice, every right decision has its, has its story behind it. Every opportunity to do the right thing is preceded by all these people and relationships that shape us into the person who stands up on the inside. So when Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus says, join me in this mission to love, when Jesus says, I want to be the influence in your life, it is an invitation for us to be shaped by him, to be filled up on the inside. John says, the one in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And our biggest challenge is the distractions and the delays from making Jesus the one who is in us. The procrastination to enter the highway or the exit ramps to get off the highway. But, but you never know, you see, when those moments will come. You never know when those moments will come. When you get presented with this opportunity to be strong, to be bold, to be courageous, to be the person that Jesus wants you to be. But it's hard to be the person Jesus wants you to be when you don't spend any time with Jesus. When Jesus is not in you, when you delay, when you are distracted. Kind of like driving out in the middle of nowhere not knowing where you're going, but you think you know where you're going. And the GPS is sitting right there, but you don't turn it on because you're a man. No, you don't turn it on <laughs> because you think you know what you're doing. You, you think you know where you're going. And the further you delay turning it on, the more wrong roads you choose. And when you finally give in and turn it on, you start to hear this voice that tells you that in a half mile, you're gonna turn right. 
And in three miles, you're going to turn left. And you're going to ignore all the other roads because you trust that that GPS is right and you, and you get to where you're going. And of course, where you and I want to go is to be this person who stands up on the inside. This person who's living into the way, the truth, and the life without delay, without distraction. And it makes me think of a guy I knew whose name I will call Jack. Jack was one of those guys who came to church against his better judgment. Dragged there mostly by his dear wife who was involved in a whole bunch of church things. But Jack didn't have the time or the interest. He was a good husband and to keep peace at home, he came with his beloved bride from time to time. So cross-armed, he would sit in the pew most of the time. Our men's group decided to go to a men's renewal conference that wasn't very far away, and lo and behold, who do I notice on the list but Jack? And I say to myself, whew, I wonder what that conversation was like at home. <laughs> Whoa, what cajoling happened there? And I say to myself, hmm, I wonder what this is gonna be like for Jack. And so sure enough, he's on the bus. And I can tell from a distance, he feels really out of place. And I can tell he was looking for just about every exit ramp he could find and doggone it, this was the time before smartphones. He didn't have that as a distraction. And I'm feeling sorry for him because I know he's under duress and a whole lot of spiritual and religious men surrounding you on a bus can give you the heebie-jeebies. But what I don't know and what I learned later is that Jack is actually there on his own volition. What I don't know is that Jack has hit some bumps in his life and career. What I don't know is that Jack is actually searching for something. So at the conference when the speaker asked if there's anyone who's ready to follow Jesus, Jack jumps from his seat like a jack-in-the-box and he makes his way down the aisle up to the front and with a group of about 20 guys says yes. No more delay, no more distraction, just yes. I want to follow Jesus. And wouldn't you know but that he did. <laughs> he turned on the GPS, he becomes this growing force in our church, a compelling force, he starts doing these amazing things. He makes right turns when a lot of people would have made left turns and he starts nagging me about more good things the church should be doing. And you just see this guy who's standing up on the inside and you know it's because he didn't delay. He wasn't distracted. And he wasn't perfect and he could be a real pain sometimes. But there was something in him you could not knock down. Because the one in him now was greater than the one in the world. No more delay, no more distraction. Because the not yet has a way of turning into the too late. Because life is this wonderful journey of learning what it means to stand up on the inside.